Mm-hmm. A little bit to think about there on that one. Forgive me if you've heard this joke before, but I love to tell it, so I'm going to tell it anyhow. As a monk that went to the monastery, joined this monastery where everybody had to stay quiet. Took a vow of silence, they call it. And uh, after the first ten years, you're allowed to say two words. So his superior called him in the office and said, okay, you've been here ten years, you haven't spoken in ten years, you have two words, what do you want to say? And he said, bad food. <laughs> he said, okay, go back. Go back to your cubicle. So he does. And ten more years passed. He says, okay, ten years have passed. He calls him into the office and says, you get two more words. He says, what do you want to say this time? He says, uh, hard bed. <laughs> he says, really? Okay, go back. Ten more years passed. calls him in. And he says, you get two more words. You've been here 30 years. He says, what are your two words? He says, I quit. <laughs> and the superior said, well, I'm not surprised. All you've done is complain ever since you got here. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken a vow of silence, but it seems like a lot of Christians have. seems like this vow of silence says, we're not going to say anything. We're not going to do anything that attracts attention. We're not going to talk about anything that we're against or critical of, anything that, that God has spoken about. Because if we do, we get a reaction from people. And so I'm just going to take this vow of silence. There are a lot of things that are going on in America that I want to address today. Things that God has spoken against, God has pronounced judgment on and said, this is not right. You better, better change, you better repent of that, or there will be repercussions to that. But we've grown silent because it's easier to be silent, isn't it? If you're quiet then nobody else notices you. It just is out there. It's just kind of a problem, but you're not directly involved in it. It's easier to remain quiet because then we don't become a target ourselves. It's easier to become quiet when we should be speaking up, and we're tired of being the lightning rod for criticism from other people. Maybe you spoke up once. Maybe you spoke up at one time, and somebody immediately reacted to you. And so you got into this argument. I'll just keep quiet. I'll just keep it to myself. Here's a thought. Maybe we've become desensitized to what's going on in America. Maybe we've gotten to the point where we don't really notice as much because we've kind of gotten used to it. It's kind of like somebody, you know, a child coming up and, and, and trying to scare you all the time. And about the fifth time, you're no longer scared. They can't startle you because you're expecting another startle, and you're expecting them to come up behind you. And maybe because we've seen so much on TV, we've seen the news so often, we don't even turn it on anymore because we're, we're aggravated and tired by, by even seeing it. And we've become desensitized to the real problems that are in America today. I wonder what would it take to shock us anymore? What would it take for us to, to be be appalled or something, say, oh, I can't believe that. Because we have seen so many things that we became desensitized to them. What would it have to happen for us to say, that's horrible. We can't let that happen. We can't allow that to continue. We have a daughter-in-law that I just really love because when she sees something like that, she immediately jumps up to do something about it. She got so excited and stayed excited about this issue of human trafficking that constantly she's talking about that and doing whatever she can to counter that. That's the kind of reaction we should have. But often, this desensitization just makes us sit back and say, can't do anything. Can't achieve anything. Can't change anything. Why even try? Well, this morning, we're going to look at a time when God was shocked. Imagine. 
when God was surprised, when God jumped and said, that's horrible, that's terrible that this is going on in my world. We're going to look at a time in Judah's history when God said, I can't believe it. This cannot continue. Jeremiah was sent to the nation of Judah many, many years ago, about 700 B.C., to let them know God's judgment was on them. And that the Babylonians were going to eventually come, and they were going to take over their land. They were going to kill most of them, but anybody that survived, they were going to take back to Babylon. They would be in exile. That was the message that Jeremiah was given. He tried for years and years to warn the people to turn from their wicked ways, but they would not. And so God gave him this message that kept on coming for about 40 years. Almost his entire lifetime was spent saying this stuff to people, and he never got anywhere with it. In fact, Jeremiah 18, verses 12 and 13, tells us what their response to him as he warned them. As he told them of the disaster that was about to befall them that if they would repent and if they would change their ways, maybe they could avert the disaster. They answered, it's no use. <laughs> we will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. In other words, they're saying, it's too late, Jeremiah. We, we've grown, grown accustomed to this. This is the way we live. We can't change now, and what's more, we don't want to. We can't change now, we don't think we need to. Does that sound familiar to anyone here this morning? That we've grown so accustomed to the way things are. We've grown so accustomed to uh, the terrible sin and, and things going on in our country that we just throw up our hands and say, can't change it, can't make any difference. In fact, I'm not even sure we really need to make those differences and changes. A farmer went into his banker he announced that he had bad news and good news. And the banker said, okay, tell me the bad news first. And he says, well, I'm sorry, but I can't make my mortgage payment anymore. Crops have been really bad lately. And that crop loan I took out about 10 years ago, I'm not going to be able to make any payments on that either. Not only that, but I'm not going to be able to pay off that couple of hundred thousand dollars that I owe on the tractors and other equipment that you've loaned me the money. I owe it to you, but I just can't pay it. So I'm going to have to just give up the farm then I have to give it back to you, turn it all over to you, and for whatever you can salvage out of it. Well, silence prevailed for a moment. Finally, the banker says, well, what about the good news? And the farmer says, well, the good news is I'm still going to bank with you because you're my bank. <laughs> That's funny, but it doesn't really sound, uh, uh, it sounds a lot like our relationship with God. I started thinking, wow, we've gone to the bank We've asked for the blessings. We've received the blessings. We've received all these things from God. And yet, when it gets to the end of it, we say, you know, really not sure I want to give you your due. I'm not really sure I want to bring back to you the obedience and the respect and the honor that you are deserving. I can't come through on my end of the deal. But then we say, the good news is, God, we still want you as our God. We still want your blessing. And is that right? Jeremiah spent 40 years as a prophet giving bad news and more bad news. I imagine it was a real hard ministry. He was told, don't marry, don't have children because terrible times are coming. You'll just watch your wife and children killed when the enemy comes. So just stay single, live out your life of bad news, bad news, bad news, and at the end, the Babylonians will come. Not a real exciting ministry to be called to. People didn't hear what he 
wanted to hear what he had to say, but it was a message that God had given him. In the same way, I kind of feel like I've got a bad news message today. I've got something to say that no one else really wants to hear. But it must be said because the warning of God is still there and America needs to repent. We need to repent. Our text this July 4th weekend is kind of an unusual text. It's a highly unusual one. It's Jeremiah 5, 30 and 31. And this is what God says. God is shocked. A horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. And my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? Did you get that? God said, the prophets, people speak for me, supposedly, are liars. And the priests who are supposed to be leading my people have abandoned my authority and are now acting only on their own authority. Which is not near what it's like to act under mine. And the people, God says the people, people like it. People like it this way. They like it when it's this way because they can do what they want. Devon Huss identified six reasons that Jeremiah gave that God's judgment was going to come on the nation of Judah. Six reasons God's judgment was coming upon the Israelites. He identified moral corruption, sexual impurity, treacherous unbelief, religious apostasy, social injustice, corrupt leaders. It sounds pretty much like a list of some of the things going on in America and in other countries today. For the past 50 years, our country has been on a slow but methodical slide further and further away from God, further and further down this slippery slope. Jeremiah said that in Judah, the prophets were telling lies. The priests were doing whatever they wanted, not what God wanted them to do. And the people were content. The people were indifferent. The people were not just apathetic, but they kind of liked it this way. Because then they could do what they wanted to do. Those whom we've counted on in the past in America to tell the truth have become self-serving liars. Those who have counted on to seek God's wisdom in order to lead our nation have abandoned God. They no longer seek God. They just seek their own ideas, their own opinions. The opinions of maybe somebody they respect, but certainly not God. And the people say, as long as I get what I want, I'm okay with that. As long as I can get what I want out of this life, then I'm okay with whatever leaders do down in Washington. Reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.3. He says, The time's going to come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. People go to hear a message that soothes them, a message that coddles them, a message that warms them, a message that gratifies them. And we choose our leaders sometimes the same way. Well, when you take a hard look at America today, I want to ask a question. How can we ask for God's blessing? You know, we pray for God's blessing. I pray for God's blessing often. And we've received many physical, material blessings and many spiritual blessings, many religious blessings like the freedoms we've spoken of this morning. But is it really fair to continue seeking God's blessing as long as we dishonor Him and disrespect Him and disregard Him? 
is that justified? We're kind of like that disobedient child. You know, all day long they've been a terror. All day long they've been disobedient. They've been doing whatever they want. They will not obey their mom and dad. Gets to supper time and then now they're just sitting there playing with their food. They won't eat their vegetables or the other things mom and dad want them to. But as soon as supper is over, that child's insisting that they still get dessert, that they still get the snack at the end of the supper time, even though they disrespected their parents all day long. That's how we are acting today as a country. In fact, in verse 29, prior to our text, God declares through Jeremiah, Shall I not punish them for these things? Shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? The nation acts this way, shall I not bring judgment on that? Jeremiah's prophecies are instructive to us because the nation of Judah and the nation called the United States of America have many of the same problems. History repeats itself, or so they say. For all of our modern improvements, for all of our conveniences, we haven't figured out how to overcome ourselves, our selfish, sinful natures, the very things that have plagued mankind from the very beginning of time. God says that the actions of the nation of Judah were horrible and shocking. When I read that, I had two thoughts. First of all, can you imagine God being shocked? What does it take to shock God? God's seen it all. God's been here for it all. He doesn't miss anything. And yet, he says, when he looks at the nation of Judah, and he looks, I think, at the nation called America, he's shocked. He is horrified. Second thing, if we are fair, shouldn't God just be as shocked here as he was with Judah? What should we do when we are no longer shocked by the things that shock God? What should we do when we don't know how to blush anymore? What should we do when all that is perverse and evil is just taken into stride? What should we do when what is sinful is touted as good and pleasing and deserving of God's blessing? We have a large segment of our country that wants to live however it wants to live and disregard God, not obey His laws, not obey His principles, not obey what He said to do, and yet we want to have God's blessing upon our actions. How should we respond to things like the gay rights agenda, to abortion rights, to legalizing marijuana? I mean, the list could be a very long list of things that people are saying, this is good, this is right, this is fair, this is the loving thing to do. There are all kinds of reasons given for these things, but in every case, God is ignored, God is disrespected, God is disregarded. How can we break at least the apathy and the indifference of so many of us believers to things that should cause us to recoil in shock. Rather than blessing, we can only expect judgment, just like the nation of Israel. We can pretend it won't come. We can continue on the same path until it does. Many predict that God's judgment is coming. It's just around the corner. I've heard a lot of people say that. Some of us have said that to each other. I can't imagine that God's going to wait much longer. can't imagine that God's going to put it off, you know, and Say, I'll just let it get a little bit worse and a little bit worse, and then eventually I'll step in. But perhaps God has already pronounced his judgment on our country. God is already visiting that judgment on us, and what he's decided to do, not to do something direct like a huge earthquake or some pestilence or or another nation come in and take us over, he's decided to punish us by just letting us have our way. 
Letting us do what we want to do and let the results follow. Let the consequences follow. And often he has done that. He did it during Jeremiah's ministry for 40 years. Judah was getting weaker and weaker. Judah was getting more, more vulnerable to an outside attack. And it was eating up all of its resources, unaware, supposedly, that they were going to come under God's judgment until eventually the nation crumbled from within. And maybe that's what God is doing in America. Maybe God is allowing us to do what we want to do. Maybe God is saying, you want to leave me out of it? Okay, have it your way. I'm out of here. You're on your own. You figure it out. Two weeks ago, one of our church members came up to me and she said, what advice can you give us? We really need a message. We really need some advice about what we're facing. Um, this person said, where I work, they've changed a whole bunch of policies. And now we're having to deal with those policies. Policies regarding same-sex marriage, policies, how they're going to handle that within employees, how we have to deal with uh, uh, these situations when we're working with our clients. We've got all kinds of things now that are violations of my own convictions of what God has said. God has said homosexuality is wrong. And yet, in my workplace, they're embracing it as normal and as usual and, and something we have to condone, we have to embrace. And she said, how can I respond to that? What can I do? Well, we're being asked today, many of us, to violate our convictions, aren't we? We are being asked to accept and even to condone behavior that we believe to be immoral and sinful. We are asked at least to look the other way and to pretend that nothing is wrong. And yet it is. And yet it is. No doubt you saw or heard the news this week. Hobby Lobby and Conestoga Wagons won their decision by the Supreme Court, narrowly approved 5-4 to four vote. The court ruled that businesses held by people with religious convictions don't, they don't have to violate those convictions and pay for the contraceptives used by their employees. Jay Seculo from the American Center for Law and Justice said in a landmark decision upholding religious liberty, the high court has held that family businesses do enjoy religious liberty rights. This ruling will have far-reaching consequences for religious freedom. Because family businesses have religious liberty rights, they can't be forced to pay for abortion pills. Be that as it may, and I'm thankful for that small victory, the struggle continues. The struggle will always continue. You know it will. I know it will. And there's a similar case already, uh, several similar cases before the court right now. Because our country is confused. Our country is no longer listening to God who has told us what is right and wrong. And when we violate those things that God has said are right or wrong, the consequences can only follow. And we have a lot of people making decisions, including our courts, justices, and others, who are deciding things without that compass, without that point of reference, what is right and wrong. It's kind of what's right today. What's right in 2014, even though it wasn't right in 2010, or 1963, or whatever year you want to pick. Our situation in America today has gone beyond ignoring God or leaving God out of our schools and communities to where now there is open hostility toward God, toward Christianity. Some time ago, the Family Research Council issued a 140-page report. 
documenting a rise in hostility toward the Christian faith, especially. The report highlights more than 600 examples of religious animosity demonstrated by judges, government bureaucrats, schools, secular groups in America, and they gave a whole bunch of examples. Let me just share a couple. First of all, a federal judge threatened uh, incarceration to be jailed to a high school valedictorian unless she removed references to Jesus from her graduation speech. A cross was removed from a veteran's memorial in San Diego after the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit held that the memorial was unconstitutional. Can't have a cross there. Dr. Frank Turek, a Cisco employee, was fired for expressing his views on traditional marriage in his book, even though he never voiced his religious opinions at work. They just didn't like that he wrote this book outside of work, so they fired him. Samantha Schultz, uh, only eight years old, was barred from singing Kumbaya at a boys and girls club in Port Charlotte, Florida, because the song included the words, Oh Lord. I mean, that, that's absurd. Katharina Lorena Senzo de Carlo, this is much serious, was a nurse at Manhattan's Mount Sinai Hospital. She was forced to participate in a late-term abortion against her religious convictions. She was threatened with the loss of job and loss of her nursing license if she didn't assist in that abortion. City officials prohibited senior citizens from praying over their meals, listening to religious messages, or singing gospel songs at a senior's activity center because that was sponsored by the community. A public school official physically lifted an elementary school student from his seat and reprimanded him in front of his classmates because he prayed before he ate his lunch. There's just examples where the enemy is becoming more aggressive, more assertive. And when we are on the defensive in a country of religious freedom, These are signs of open hostility. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, don't you? I think there are going to be more examples of this rather than fewer in the coming years. And so it's a sad state of affairs, but is the answer to grow indifferent, to sit on our hands and to do nothing, to say nothing? No. Because as we sang earlier, we are called to be light in the darkness. We are called to be the light of the world. We are called to be a city on a hill. We are called to be salt of the earth. We are called to be leaven in that lump of dough so that the change can happen through us as God empowers us, as enables us to make a difference in our land. So let me give you just two quick applications. Things to work on. First of all, the scripture says, speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. Now, there's a good balance there. There's something that needs to be said, something needs to be done, but it needs to be done in a balanced way. Speak. Well, you can't speak silently, so it means you're going to have to say something. You're going to have to be vocal. You're going to have to say what your views are. You're going to have to say what the truth is, whatever that may be. Words must be used. Words must be spoken. But the truth is what you must not must speak, not your own opinion. Not what you think is right, but what God has said is right. What is true today, as well as when it was written thousands of years ago, is true and it will always be true. Man can change his laws, man can do it at once, but the truth is the truth, so share it freely. Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That truth needs to be used as a freedom giver. Speak the truth in love.
speak what is true in loving ways. Not in ways of judgment, not in ways of criticism, not in, in ways of, of wrathful, uh, just venting on someone, but speak it in love so that maybe that message will be heard. So maybe that message of truth will be embraced. Now we may think that we're non-judgmental. I know I do. I think I'm non-judgmental. I think that I don't have any prejudices and I think that I love everybody and I can embrace anybody of any stripe or flavor. It doesn't matter. I can embrace that until I get in those situations and these little things are coming out like, uh-oh, there's a little bit of that inside there, a little bit to work with. I think that I can accept people just as they are without, without feeling the need to criticize or condemn. But then you get in situations. A few weeks ago, Jane and I were on a walk. We're walking around our neighborhood and we met some of our new neighbors a few, about two blocks from our house. Two guys that decided that they're going to buy that house together and they're just not roommates. They're not married yet because you can't do that in Virginia, but I think they want to be. Very nice guys. We enjoyed talking with them. They built a new porch and we were working on something at our house. So we said, can we see it? We ended up visiting with them for quite a while. They're just really likable people. But the whole time we're struggling with this, this knowledge, this awareness. The truth is that this is a sinful thing that they're doing. How can we express that maybe someday as a relationship may come that we could talk with them and that truth could be shared? Or who will share that truth? This, everybody gets into situations like that if you have your eyes open, if you're listening, and if you're just living life, you're going to run into that today. What are you going to do when that situation presents itself? I can remain friends with sinners of all types, knowing that I too am a sinner saved by God's grace. And so that keeps me in check. That keeps me from being all critical and judgmental of somebody because I know I have sin too. It's just a different kind of sin than theirs. Maybe it's not as, pri uh, as public as theirs. And yet, the, here it is. We're all sinful, sinful people saved by grace. But is it my place as a Christian to say nothing? To do nothing? To just hold on to the truth for myself and for my immediate family and, and then just hope we can get by? That is not our place. Our place is to stand for the truth. And if we just kind of accept whatever else is going on, if we, we just allow it to happen and act as if everything's okay, then are we not, in fact, approving of those things by our silence? Randy Alcorn noted in his book, Grace and Truth, 30 years ago, many people chose churches based on whether the church believed and taught the truth. Today, many choose churches based on whether the church makes them feel comfortable. If a church tells the truth, it will gain some people, but it will lose others. One out of five women, he says, having an abortion in America claim to be a born-again Christian. And yet pastors tell me I don't talk about abortion because it will make our family, our people feel guilty since many have had abortions. And Alcorn asked this, isn't that exactly why we should talk about it? To help people, men as well as women, since men are always involved recognize, deal with their guilt, receive Christ's grace. That's what it's about. And to help others avoid the sin that creates that guilt. I know many women, he said, who have experienced God's forgiveness and profound healing after abortions. The women who suffer most are those who do not face that truth. Deep inside they know it. 
Their consciences accuse them and they pursue self-destructive behaviors. Our silence isn't grace. It's cruelty. Because people need the truth. And only when we speak that truth in love can they hear it and receive it and embrace it and it can change their lives as God gets into them. So let's speak up whenever we have an opportunity to do so. Let's speak the truth in love. Let's learn to take in stride whatever criticism or ridicule or, or, or maybe gratitude may come our way when we speak the truth in love. I heard about a faithful Christian soldier who went to his chaplain for advice one morning. He said, last night when I knelt by my bed and prayed, the fellows began to ridicule me. A couple guys threw their shoes at me. What should I do? Well, said the chaplain, he says, why don't you just stop kneeling down? You could still have prayer. Just lie in your bed. Lift your heart to God in silence and he will hear you. After a few days, the chaplain asked the soldier how he was faring with his evening prayers. He says, I'll tell you what. He says, I followed your advice for three nights, but my conscience began to bother me. So he said, I felt like I was betraying God, and, and I began to kneel at night to pray as I did before. And what happened, the chaplain asked. He says, well, he says, I was really amazed. Not a single guy ridiculed me then. Now the 15 men in my tent kneeled down with me, and I pray aloud for each of them by name. Speak the truth in love. Secondly, finally, pray for our nation. Pray for us. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our political leaders. What a job they've got. What a nightmare of a job. How are they going to make sense of the mess that we've created? How are they going to pull us out of the problems? Physical, material problems. Uh, people problems. They need our prayers. They need our prayers that they'll actually turn back to God and listen to Him. Because right now they're operating on their own intelligence, under their own opinion, and many of them are missing that dynamic that God would bring if they would humble themselves and pray to Him. Pray for our religious leaders. We've got a lot of problems in religion today. We've got people fighting each other because of religions. We've got people within Christianity that are messing up big time. We have leaders uh, in a national level, Christianity, that we're embarrassed by. Pray for them. Pray that their hearts would be open. First Timothy 2, Paul says, I've urged that first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For kings and all those who are in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, Paul says. It pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Pray for yourself. Because any change will happen, will happen with us first. Will happen when the people of God acknowledge our own sin, confess our sin, repent of our sin. And the reason we have national sins is because we have private sins. There is no national sin. There are people in a nation sinning when we talk about national sin, it's because the people of that nation are caught in sin. So I want us to take a few minutes as we close today, our worship service, just to lift up our country. And I want you to join me, if you would, please.
if you want to kneel, if you want to uh, just bow, if you want to stand, whatever, uh, just find that place, that posture of prayer. And let's pray to the Lord together. Father in heaven, Almighty Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you. We humble ourselves because each of us must admit our sin. Each of us must confess our own sin. I acknowledge mine. I seek your forgiveness and I seek healing. My brothers and sisters are going to do the same here. As we bow before you, we confess our sins. We confess our need for you. We confess our need for your wisdom, for your truth, for your guidance in this country. We repent. We ask that you would help us change our ways and that we would follow you completely. We would never again dishonor you, never again disregard you. I pray for our leaders. I pray for those uh, leading our nation. What a tremendous, unsavory task they have. I pray that their hearts would be humbled. Whatever means that takes, Lord, Whatever way would lead to that humility, I pray that that would happen. I pray that there would be turning of hearts to you once again. And that our leaders would acknowledge their need for your wisdom, for your truth. And that they would stop all of the political fighting. They would stop all of the, uh, the wars that go on to make sure their opinion prevails their ideas prevail and all would just turn to you as we once did and seek Almighty God together. I pray for our religious leaders, for those particularly in Christianity as we face uh, these days and as we strive to stay on that straight and narrow way ourselves. I pray for the elders in churches. I pray for those who are at the the head of, of large churches as staff or senior ministers. I pray for all of the, the volunteers who lead in so many different ways that each of us would take that responsibility seriously and that every day we would seek your heart and we would ask for your guidance. Help us, Lord, to, to honor you. Help us to speak the truth, but to do so in love. Help us to not be indifferent, to give up, to be resigned to this is just the way things are. Because, Lord, we can make a difference. And even if we don't change America politically, we can change the hearts of individuals around us who need Jesus. And I pray that you would help us to speak the truth in love into their hearts, into their lives. Help us, Lord, to be genuine. Help us to be humble, help us to confess our own need for you and our own sin, and to not come across as, as uh, people who, who are critical, people that are homophobic, even though um, accusations may be made, we pray, Lord, we continue speaking the truth in love. I pray for this congregation, that we would be a beacon of light to this community that that name, New Hope, would really mean something. 
to them. And they would find in us the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. As we realize that we are the light of the world and we're the city on the hill and we're the salt of the earth, and we're the leaven in that lump of dough. We have a tremendous responsibility as well as our leaders just to live for Jesus and to show Jesus to the people around us. Father, bless our nation. Not because we deserve it. Not with more material things than we already don't know what to do with. But bless us with your presence. Bless us with your guidance. Bless us with your peace. May you be our only hope, our one desire. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing one song of, of praise as we close and realize that it is